Welcome to the Cinema Draft Podcast, presented by DraftStream, a discussion show about movies, gaming, and the unexpected cultural detours that color our life. Please enjoy your stay and enjoy the show. We're back. It's your boy, Eduardo Jackson, CEO, founder, creator of the Cinema Draft and Draft Stream Games, where daily fantasy sports meets the movies. And once again, it is my honor and pleasure to welcome back my pop cultural tether, the woman who just wants the very best for them, the woman who is the yin to my yang, the scissors to my us. It's Catherine Sarah Clashbrook. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me back. Welcome back, KSK. So our Andy Cohen-inspired Watch What Happens Live drinking game word tonight shall be the word party. Because every time you hear one of us say this word, take a sip of what you're sipping. Because we will end up covering our favorite movies featuring birthdays and the parties that love them. All right. So you know the drill, KSK. The world's on fire. We've got very little hope and optimism. I see you in the branching slack every day, hoping against hope that we're going to right the ship, you know, come this November. Tell me something good. So I'm alternating between, like, being optimistic and not being able to be optimistic after 2016, like, who's not burned? So my good thing is very random and small, but something I saw when I was watching the news today, which is usually a nightmare, is it? Did you know Regina King is the new Cadillac uh, car ad? No. She's got yeah. one of those ads that usually is like a John Hamm or like a Michael McConaughey, where she's just rolling around in Escalade, looking awesome. She's got a <laughs> Run the Jewels song playing. It's like, it really made me happy. Like, she's arrived, you know? Oh, sweet. Well, kudos to you for watching commercial. The only time a commercial <laughs> catches me is during football. And even then, I've got red zone now, so fuck that shit. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's good for her. Get that. You'll have to look it up on, on YouTube then. So, so it's worth watching? All right, I'll, I'll give it 30 to, nine, to 60 seconds of my life. I wonder if it's, was it directed by anyone we know? Is it like directed by Ava or anything? I don't know. It's poss There's an implication within it that it's directed by her, but I don't know. You know what? Of course. Why not? She could be a self-director. I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. She does she have like some movie that debuted like at some online film festival? Like was it online can or something that's gonna be or online TIFF, I think, that's actually gonna be released, I guess, online soon. I think it was released on TIFF. It's um One Night in Miami. And I actually saw it on one of the other ones. Like if you if you research all these little film festivals around the country. Like a bunch of the movies are overlapping and playing in multiple ones. So I saw it through some like small California film festival, I think last week. So you've, so you've seen it. Is it good? Yeah, I saw it. It was good. I mean, it's based on a play. So you get a little bit of that Staging. sense of like, yeah, like, okay, we get it. You have to be in one location because it was a play. But right. it was really fun. It's like the, the actors are amazing. It's got like actors portraying these four characters, like Malcolm X is one, um, Muhammad Ali, um, Sam Cooke, the musician, and I'm gonna blank out on the other name of the uh, so, athlete. So, oh, um, Muhammad Ali? 
No, there's like a football player. I feel like it's oh, J- oh Jim Brown. Yes, there you go. That's so the one Jim I can Brown. remember. <laughs> so, was this X Malcolm X? Yes. No, he's the one who's all the way on the left, like taking the photo. Oh yeah, yes, Detroit Red. There we go. And played by this uh, like British actor Kingsley Ben Amir, something like Stop that. Stop it, Kingsley Ben Adir played Malcolm X too. Oh yeah. my god, this guy is everywhere. So did you yeah. see the? Um, you, you watch the Comey Rule, right? I watched some of it. I did not finish. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's only like two nights. What are you doing? Anyways, well, so I thought his Obama was excellent. I mean, if you, I mean, maybe it didn't look exactly like him, but if you close your eyes and listen. It's almost indistinguishable. Like the vocal cadence sounds just like Obama. Is wild. Yeah, he's he's pretty good at doing like an impression kind of portrayal. Uh, he was good in this, although his character is kind of meant to be like a drag, basically for the rest of the group. So you kind of don't like him that much. But uh, he was he was very good. All the acting was like amazing. Oh yeah, this is great. I wonder what do you know when it comes out? Like uh, or on what streaming thing is supposed to come out? I don't know. I don't know if they have an official thing. I mean. It's probably going to still be on some small festivals going around. They take research, though, to, like, find out what, what's going Oh, good. here we go. It's supposed to be uh, December 25th. I mean, yeah, it'd be great if we could see things in theaters. We can't. So hopefully this gets streamed properly, uh, maybe on Prime or something. That is very interesting. Yeah, well, well cast, too. Alice Hodge, uh, Kingsley Benadir. Yeah. Yeah, man. All right. Well, good shit. Yeah, that is, that is something good. Well done. Okay. <laughs> Coming in hot, KSK. All right, so we're on to what we're watching. And the first thing I'm watching this week, a little show called Utopia. Are you familiar with KSK? I've heard a lot about it, and I've not I've not checked it out yet. I feel like it might not be for me. I heard it's pretty violent, but I'm glad you're enjoying it. <laughs> so uh, do you have you watched uh, The Boys on Prime? No, I've not seen that. To me, like they're kind of like a pair of things that are probably great, but not for me. Okay. Uh, well, you know, and it's fair because they do not want the very best for them. <laughs> no. And there, and there is, you know, several instances of children in peril in this one and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I, I get that. But I enjoyed this because this thing is very unexpected, very uh, – it's 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 dark, but darkly comedic. It, it's, it's, it's very strange. So, basically, it's um, it, it deals with, like, psychology of cults, systems and orders – like, you know, your found family versus your real family, you know, and also, you know, find out who you are, things like that. But what really kind of has been attention grabby and controversial these days <laughs> is the fact that it deals a lot with um, with uh, a, a pandemic uh, and, and a pandemic that may or may not be like, you know, a, a real viral, you know, pandemic whatever and curious timing for this well yeah yeah exactly right but i mean obviously they put this thing into, into motion at least two years ago and the timing is a little auspicious should they, could they have sat on it sure but i i mean i don't i think the people will say that's irresponsible to release it now because it deals with disease is just it's just ridiculous i mean and i as i'm fond of saying these days our country is extremely intensely stupid like criminally dumb right now and i don't think that good you know, quality content, you know, that pushes the edge that, you know, you know, makes you think a little bit in certain ways. And that's definitely entertaining should go by the wayside just because people are too stupid for their own good right now. I mean, I don't think it's going to change after, you know, November 3rd, one way or the other, but hopefully, you know, a sense of, of returning to 
to at least intellectual curiosity, you know, a, a culture of intellectual curiosity, or at least, you know, be ushered in from the top down. That's pretty much all I can hope for. But I really enjoyed the show because it is very unexpected. People get capped left and right, like unexpectedly. <laughs> but no, people like like name title people be like, oh yeah, I'm settle in for eight episodes of him or eight episodes of her. Uh, nope. <laughs> no, no, no. And yeah, Christopher Denham, you know, remember him from um oh what was that? what was that show? He was on um but not Mad Men. Uh one of those shows where he played very straight laced and um and you but uh, basically he plays totally against type because when you see him you usually think, okay, harmless dweeb, you kind of like write him off or push him aside, but nope. Nope, 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 nope. And this one plays a bit of a simpleton assassin named Arby. Uh, John Cusack plays a bit of a, a bit of a, a cross between like Elon Musk and, well, for lack of a better uh, example, uh, Keith Rainier from Nexium. <laughs> Not so much Great sex- combo. Yeah, you're right. Not so much sex slavey, but more like culty and cult of personality. I mean, uh, wait till say season two. They're gonna get there. <laughs> yo, have you started watching, you know, quick cultural cul-de-sac, have you started watching the stars one? I, d- I watched the first episode and it's, I mean, I don't want to to judge it too soon, but it's so much trashier than the HBO one. It's like <laughs> interesting, but like everything is to shock you. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't even know if so much is to shock you, but I think it's more like showing the stuff that we weren't, give, you know, seen at all in the HBO one. The HBO one, and, and from the very first time I saw the first episode, I thought that it was wildly overproduced, but still compelling. This one, it's more like, I mean, it's 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 produced a lot less, I mean, a lot fewer instances of people staring off in the middle distance, say. Right? Yeah. But um, but I like, what I like about the, the stars one, and I believe it's called Seduced. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just in case we, we're, we didn't make it clear, we are talking about the the dueling Nexium documentaries. Uh, this one is Seduced, My Life in the cult, Inside the Nexium Cult. Yeah. This one is definitely from India Oxenberg's, you know, uh, one of the victims of the cult, uh, one of the escapees, survivors of the cult, uh, mm-hmm. from her point of view. But what I really appreciate about this one is that they bring in mental health professionals, tell right. us how this is a cult, why this is a cult, what systems are being worked on in your mind that makes the cult. I appreciate that, honestly, a hell of a lot more than almost anything that was brought with HBO One. Like, seriously, HBO that's One is, is good storytelling, but I like seeing the, the, the full picture, you know? Yeah, that's fair. I feel like it was just to be more of the classic thing you've seen on basic cable where they're breaking down, like, you know, they go right into the branding and the more shocking aspects of it. And so that was like what, what struck me as kind of trashy, I would say. But I mean, to me, I like the HBO one because it gets into like why these seemingly normal people would get into this. Because I feel like when you start with the craziest stuff, you're like, these people are idiots. Like, what's wrong with you? But I feel like the HBO one did a good job of like humanizing them and making you kind of like care about how they got sucked in. You know, that's actually, that, you know, that's, that's an excellent point. So I'll, I'll, I'll look at it like this. You've opened my eyes, Casket. My te- <laughs> keep, me, keep me together, tether together. Uh, I will say that that if you if one were, were to watch these these series, I would probably do maybe at least half of of season one of the vow before going into seduced to kind mm-hmm. of balance it out. Because like you said, you're absolutely right. They do show you painstakingly so from the HBO side <laughs> how you know someone goes from, oh, this is a nice group of nice people being nice to each other to 
I'm gonna fucking sex cult. I just got branded. Ah! You know, <laughs> they, they, yeah. you, you see how a seemingly normal, and it seems like the you know most of the victims at least uh, profiled you know on this are rich white women uh, go from being you know uh, you mm-hmm. know normal living you know perfectly normal you know rich white woman lives to in sucked inside the the belly of a cult to to being balanced out by you know the psychology of it all you do get that empathy you probably need more if in, in instead of just jump straight into seduce where it's like these people are crazy this is the expert telling you why they're crazy and you yeah. probably have less empathy for them. That, that's a good point yeah i mean it is well timed because like they could be dueling things but they're kind of also perfectly fit together because the and the hbo one you never really see india and you're just like really curious about like what, what's her whole deal like what is she real what's why is she into this? Why is she so obsessed? And so then to like see her side is perfectly, it's like a perfect segue. And, and now obviously we, we know that we don't see India because she was holding out all of her footage for her own documentary, which yeah. is smart, get your bags, India, get your bag. Uh, yeah, she learned a lot from this cult, even this <laughs> Yeah. First of all, all you know, be camera ready and always, you know, and always be ready to to secure a bag. Yes. Yeah. Good. So, yes. Yeah, so really interesting um, uh, uh, set of shows. And I mean, I, know, I don't know if it's appropriate or not, but she, she's like kind of jaw droppingly beautiful, a very plain, yeah. you know, way and very like kind of low key way. She's kind of looking at her like, God, she's so. Yeah. I mean, and she's got this. Sort of, you know, it comes from you know, you know, money and and her you know, gorgeous you know, mother who I remember watching as a kid on Dynasty. Like, yeah. oh yeah, she was the blonde one. Uh, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, how how's such a nice you know, pretty girl? Everything's up in her life just gets sucked into a cult. You're like, wow, could happen. For me, for me, the breakout star so far in the stars one is the grandmother. Oh yeah. Who you yeah. just see like she was at this party and she she's just deadpan like these people are all insane. I didn't want to be rude, but maybe I should have been ruder. I know she was great. Tell it like it is, absolutely. I know, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's so funny because I um, I'm not sure if you saw my tweet, but um, after like I just finished watching the vow, and then I and I was looking for some tweets in the vow to interact with, and then someone uh, talked about like how uh, you know Keith had like a woman trapped in a room for two years and had a baby by oh someone God. else. Yeah, it was this cr- crazy stuff that did not show up in the vow, and yeah. she, you know, and you know, she's like, yeah, and watching three episodes of seduced. You know, all this stuff about Keith, blah blah blah, and you know, and, and this, you know, this is obviously you know the, the better doc, and and I, tw- and I quote tweeted with you know the the, the Spellman girl who does the mm-hmm. <sighs> turns back around to go face whatever she has to face. I did that like now I have to go watch Seduced. Yep, that's <laughs> how they get you in. And, and and one of the co-directors liked my tweet too, so I feel very very excited about that. So yeah, so I'm now I'm, I'm on the Seduced. That is now my new Sunday obsession. Me and the draft yeah. mom got to check it out. All right, so wow, that was a big culture cul-de-sac. cul-de-sac. Um, so yeah, so Utopia, that's one thing I'm watching. Obviously, The Vow and Seduced. The other thing I'm watching from the draft stream game last week, it was The Perfect Weapon. You checked this out at all, KSK. No, I haven't. I haven't even heard about this one yet. There's so much that's on. <coughs> Play draft stream. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I really should. But you know, I have no competitive instinct. I'm not like a game person. I would, I, I'm like so bad at games that like I sabotage myself because I want other people to win. 
Wow, you really want the best for everyone but yourself. That is yeah, it's tough. <laughs> I mean, apparently, I mean, I, apparently, I've got enough competition for like you know the both of us, but especially how I talk so much shit in our sports ball channel about, or actually, fancy sports channel about leading our fancy football league right now. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's the. Wow, no pictures. Okay, just one sheet. Cool. Uh, basically, series of interviews uh, tracing back the history of modern day cyber warfare. And honestly, it was kind of kicked off by the US, as most great wars are, <laughs> um, and our attack on using Stuxnet on the Iran uh, nuclear centrifuges. And that really kind of set the world on fire. Like, okay, so like, oh, we're doing this now. Okay, so of course, we did that thing, thinking we could do it as a one off. Other countries built entire programs around it. Russia, Iran, China, North Korea, they all about that life right now. The, the Sony hack, North Korea, you know, military, the um, uh, the obviously, you know, the the Democratic National you know, Committee's hacked was was pure right. Russian, the Internet Research Agency, which is, you know, Russian government funded. They trace all that shit back. It's very compelling, very good. I think it got like a hundred score from Rotten Tomatoes and a pretty high score in our game overall. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's legit. It's, it's worth watching. Uh, and it's scary. Well, it's, it's scary, but you know, I'm always in search of third monitor material because I'm always working this damn game for y'all. I'm always working this damn game with the first two monitors. And then I need something I can just either listen to or kind of watch at the corner of my eye on the third monitor. This is perfect. Yeah, to just add to your general sense of doom about the whole world, it's like good to have this as a third screen. <laughs> I don't. I mean, and honestly, KSK, and, and today's, you know, and this week's, you know, pod is about you know birthday movies because I just had a birthday and stuff, and I don't know what it is. The older I get, the more documentary focused I, I, I am. Like, I, mm -hmm. like, you couldn't pay me to read a nonfiction book in my twenties, <laughs> and now it's like, I mean, it's well, if I do any reading at all, calm my mind down. One thing I started doing is, I, I mean, I'm actually, you know, reading, God help me, Bob Woodward's <laughs> Rage. I did not, oh, I, I didn't buy it. Draft Mom bought it. I knew she was never going to read it. So I took it from her. And <laughs> yeah, he can write. He's a good writer. But, you know, they're that's all. That's the first one, right? Or that's the second one? I think it's the second one. It, it's the one that just came out. It's the one okay, that just yeah. came out where we were like, and, and early on, you know, he has that excerpt about how. About uh, about Trump talking about how bad the virus is, they just want to like bitch slap you know Bob Woodward. He's like you, you <laughs> dick. I mean, you could have saved some lives here, but whatever. Anyways, it's it's a good book so far. It's he's a good writer, and I don't know if I wouldn't say it actually exactly humanizes per se like Mattis and people like that. And they're and mm. even before they weren't like the worst people. Because most of them so far, I'm only through like maybe. Early, early 2019, most of the, those guys you get introduced to on the staff or in this cabinet end up quitting. But, you know, you kind of see, like, why they did what they did, but you kind of wish they'd spoken out a little bit more, you know? But, yeah, I don't know. They're all, like, between Mattis and Coates, they're all, like, you know, lifelong, uh, uh, you know, bureaucrats or people who are just kind of, like, they, they actually respect the chain of command, even though, you know, sitting atop the chain is just, you know, the... The bad man in chief so yeah yeah someone with a military training of like just following orders and being respectful of like authority is the last person you should count on for like putting their neck out i mean <laughs> in an ideal world it would not work that way but i've been disappointed too many times by these people 
Yeah, that's true. And I, and you know, in my now I'm on my seventh wire re rewatch, and you know, season season one, you know, uh, uh, Lieutenant Daniel's all about chain of command, McNulty, chain of command, you know, <laughs> up in the chain of command. So yeah. The yes. documentary that I want to see is the new one, um, Totally Under Control. Have you heard about that? I think it's I've watched that. on Hulu. I've watched it. First of all, I mean, it's in the talent pool. So it's in the talent pool. <laughs> it's a documentary. It's on my third screen, all right? Yeah. All right, uh, Catherine, it's on my third screen. So, yeah, so Totally Under Control was, was pretty good also. And that one dealt with the virus response. And mm -hmm. that's also kind of depressing slash you want the best for them but you know it's not going to be the best <laughs> uh yeah i want to see that one because i feel like it's i mean it's still ongoing obviously and the fact that they put it together so quickly with like a, a good director is, is pretty impressive no they had at the very at the very end they had a note about how was something that happened just like a week before I mean, they're like cutting this up to the very, very end. So yeah, and it, it's 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 enraging because what was what was particularly enraging is is just the arrogance of Jared Kushner and his people. Like I actually read, I think it was uh, Michael Lewis's The Fifth Risk, where he basically goes to town on how incompetent the Trump people were during the transition. So I was aware of that, but just also seeing, but when you apply that same type of mentality a, a few years later, and with th these guys deal with coronavirus, they I mean besides just the Republican fallacy of thinking the free market can solve everything, which is not what you want in the middle of public, you know, uh, public health crisis. Uh, the arrogance of, of Kushner and his people, like they had all these volunteers. And what I thought was really great is they had an actual volunteer. God can't be more than 21, 22. He was like, mm -hmm. yeah, we're volunteering, you know, trying to, you know, secure PPE for all these different, you know, places. And then Kushner comes in and tells us that we, that we can't, you know, send them out or we can't do this. We can't do that. I actually had to kind of go around them to do stuff. It's like, what the fuck? Are we really putting politics of people's health and lives here? Like seriously? Yeah, I feel like Jared Kushner and these people like saw the social network or like some documentary about like Silicon Valley innovators and thought like, we can do that. You just break all the rules, make up your own way of doing things. No experience is gonna be fine. And it turns out it doesn't work that way. Yeah, it, it's it's wild. I mean, and they honestly could have bashed Trump and them more, but they largely focused on on not so much like his policy, but like, like the the people who are caught up in the gears of his policy, which I think mm -hmm. was, was a lot more effective. Because you could, I mean, it's easy to, I mean, you don't even need a documentary to talk about how shitty he is at his job or or, or what his response has been. But like seeing the minutia, like like the people in the middle, like the volunteers, the 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 department heads, you know, like people who end up having to resign because they're just getting like, I, no, I will not sign my name to that because that will get people killed. I mean, having those interviews were, was really revealing. So that's what I'm watching. What are you watching? All right. So some one of the things I'm watching now, which I think you were in on in the beginning, I don't know if you're still into it, is The Good Lord Bird. I am um, very much into it. Yeah. Okay. So I think we only talked about the first episode, so I wasn't sure, like, sometimes people drop off, but, like, it's on Showtime. It's about um, John Brown, played by Ethan Hawke. And, um, I'm looking at John Brown for those yeah. of you who have failing public school systems. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'd include myself. I don't really remember learning that much about this history, which is kind of, like, depressing, but, I mean, it's it's all new to me, so it's even more fascinating. But, I mean, the the acting is just so over the top that even if you're not like super drawn to this topic on its own or like, you know, the, the kind of miserable conditions that they're exploring, 
like it's really worth it for the the kid who plays onion is amazing and he's kind of like your window into it and i mean even hawk is really going for it he's like so <laughs> out there the costumes like the prosthetics i don't know that's <laughs> great no, it's, it's really good and and i like well it's it's good it's somewhat unpredictable it's shockingly episodic i mean i didn't know what yeah. i thought it would just be like this one journey from point a to point b but it's kind of like we're gonna go we're gonna you know focus in on one place each episode there's only been three episodes so far but it seems like in episodes two and three they've gone to one place and focused in on that place which has been interesting we will maybe you'll have a brush with a historical figure or two maybe not i don't know yeah. uh it seems like we've got uh harriet tubman coming up next episode and then yeah. and so and as far as uh as, as far as grade school it, Actually, for me, I think it was like more like middle school history goes. The only th the the main things I would I always took away from John Brown was that he that he was very much anti-slavery abolitionist. You know, he uh, he met his downfall at Harper's Ferry, <laughs> and and that he uh, is a white man who spiritually will always be invited to the cookout. Like he lived what he preached, and in this obviously this is like fictionalized, highly exaggerated take on John Brown, but. I, I can dig that. Any 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 guy, especially back then, who was really willing to put his life on the line to to advance the the cause the cause of abolition, is is perpetually invited to the cookout. Yeah, he's so like crystal clear on like his interpretation of the Bible and how like it's it's pretty simple. Like we're all equal, and just like the way he hammers it to basically anyone he meets is really refreshing because you usually with these historical things you're kind of like okay, it was a different time, he was doing his best, but you know, what can you expect? No, but he was just like right there. And such, and from a character standpoint too, if you wanna get like all writer wonky with it, it's great because it, his his moral clarity is both his strength and his biggest you know, flaw because it gets him into so many situations that he has no business being in if he'd just been a little bit more political, a little bit more, you know, uh, uh, not even like not even switch deferential, but just like kind of tactful, maybe. But yeah. no, we're by <laughs> Bridgestone. If you don't agree and take the Lord Jesus Savior as your Savior in Christ, and also that these you know black you know men here are your brothers in Christ, I you know I can't. He is the. I mean, talking about Brooke, you know, bullshit. I mean, it's like yo, yeah. I mean, you're at a twelve and he did a two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you kind of get into that a little in the third episode when he's meeting with Frederick Douglass that. Like they're trying to tell him, like we can't support you if you're like this out there. We've got to like run, like raise money and all this kind of stuff. And no, he just like won't compromise. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good Lord Bird. I I, I love it. I dig it. Draft mom's into it as well. Um, she she skipped the first one because she thought it'd take up too many of her black misery credits. But no, no BMCs required. Stay yeah, I mean, the second episode was a little bit more like that because it's focused more on like the slaves in this one town. But I thought it was well done because you saw how they're not like a monolithic group, how each each person had their own like way of surviving, their own kind of moral 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 code of like how to get by. It was yep. interesting. Just like today. Ice cute. All right. Anyways, <laughs> what else are you watching, PSK? <laughs> uh, another thing I'm watching, which I don't think that you are checking out, is the Luca Guadagnino show on HBO, We Are Who We Are. So we are who we are. Yeah, and that's I, I'm not entirely saying I've tapped out. I just watched the first one. It's a bit mm -hmm. of a hang, uh, but there's so much other good stuff I keep finding each week that I'm 
I, I think I'll I'll circle back, especially if you recommend it. So tell us what you like about it or what you've discovered about it. So I usually don't like shows that are like teen focused because I kind of feel like, you know, how into their melodramas can I get? But I mean, this is the second one after Euphoria last year, or the year before that, like, it really brings you in because the characters are so like well portrayed. And it's on this sort of microcosm of a military base in northern Italy. So you've got a kind of like a weird setting where everything is heightened and the culture is more, um, you can see the cultural issues more, more clearly, I guess, in the setting. It's got great actors. It's got Chloe Sevigny, um, Kid Cudi plays the dad of one of the kids, Caitlin, and this kid Frazier with the blonde hair. And um, I don't know, it's just really well done. Like it's similar topics or like themes to Euphoria, but it handles it in like such a different way where it's not really like judging the kids or putting them in situations where this one's trying to trick that one and you know people manipulating each other it's it's kind of less judgmental about them exploring their identities and like sexuality and I, I don't know I mean the broader theme is like obviously gender because the character Caitlin is sort of exploring whether she's transgendered or non-binary um, but I just think it does a like a good slow way of exploring these ideas Okay. Well, I mean, because you are my tether, and I, I, I mean, there are a lot of shows that we don't watch, you know, together per se. But yeah. you know, I, I trust your judgment, so I, I will circle around back to it. I just, I mean, just because I play the game every week, I'm exposed to so much good content. Like, right, like I'm also watching a uh, Grand Army. I think I'm starting the third episode of that. That's interesting. Um, I always find yeah. that that's the that's the one um, uh, with like the the high school in New York, but what they don't well i don't spoil what happens in the first but there's a really interesting plot device in in the middle of the, the first episode which they do not advertise at all in in any of the trailers i've seen which make it pretty compelling so i don't know i'm, I'm interested to see where that goes um it's just it's been good i i, I did i did a utopia binge over the weekend i mean it's just you know it's it's a great time for peak tv borat's coming can we yeah. check this, this week's talent pool <laughs> You know, yeah, we've got to get into it. So Yeah, there's definitely, like, way too much on right now. I'm not even watching Fargo at all because it's, like, there's too many too many Sunday shows, too many Monday shows. So I'm just, like, going to get to that in a few months. Well, so, you know, Far let me tell you, Fargo, so, all right, so we, the, the way we, you know, we became friends through the, through, you know, the Watch uh, Facebook group, whatever, this uh, podcast we listened to, uh, hosted by Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald of The Ringer. And and they've been, it sounds like, especially Chris, I think Chris has actually been watching it. I don't think Andy really has been watching it. But Chris uh, has been a little more down on Fargo, has been honestly kind of nitpicking it, which is fine. That's, that's just right. I'm not saying I take this thing completely carte blanche, but if it's Fargo, you kind of just go in and just kind of you know let it take over. I do recognize their points about how every scene feels weighty and 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 not quite scene chewy, but like the, the 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 dialogue is really good. The dialogue is always really good and definitely feels weighty. And the and the performance, especially Glenn Thurman, is always kind of like you know it, it's 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 like a velvet hammer. And just kind of you kind of always hold your breath every time he talks because he has that kind of intensity to everything he says, right? But yeah. I just I really am enjoying it. Even when Chris Rock gives a very stagey performance of what's actually an excellent monologue. Did you see the one on Sunday? Razor's Edge? No, I've only seen the first episode, I think. Oh uh, man, he has this great monologue about, you know, basically, you know, like 
about why he's a criminal and and how <laughs> he how they live on the razor's edge of bas basically uh, acceptability, which I thought was great. And then he ends it with basically like, like, "Go make me a fucking sandwich." You're like, "Whoa, whoa!" <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? No, I, I'm really digging Fargo this year, um, and I, I and it's not even just because there's you know you know some people that look like me on the screen, but the fact that they're pitting two groups of essentially outsiders, you know, yeah. immigrants of sorts, you know, against each other is always very compelling. And also it's kind of, and I like a good period piece, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a whore for good accents and a good period piece. So yeah, give me- Yeah, I'm interested. It's just like too much. I think also the, the pilot is a lot of setup of the world and like the whole history of, of, the, of the various mob groups. So from watching that, it was just like, I don't have the energy for this right now. It felt like homework. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. I don't know. I, I'm going to enjoy it at some point, I feel like. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, if, I, don't, I, mean I don't think it's, neat. it's a must be part of the pop cultural conversation because no one's really talking about the season Fargo, which is kind of sad. But, um, I, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a good watch. I mean, it's, but, you know, it's, it's basically, you know, uh, uh, a, a, an elongated gangster movie, so just be prepared yeah. for gangster shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to this week's topic of the podcast: top five birthday movies. The rules are as thus: name a movie that features a birthday or a birthday party. We alternate picks. Once someone picks a movie, that movie is out of play. As always, guests go first. What do you got for your first film, <laughs> KSK? All right, I don't even know where to start with this. this is, my list is sort of all over the place, and some of them have like have like a cheerful birthday mood, and others are like sad birthday movies. So I, I have no no overall like theme for it. So I'm gonna start with um, the hours. Did you see this movie from like 2001? Oh my, you know, I, I had a screener for it for the longest. I don't think I actually saw it. So it's kind of loosely, it's based on a book by Michael Cunningham called The Hours, which is in itself loosely based on Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf. Mm -hmm. So it has these three like parallel storylines where Nicole Kidman is Virginia Woolf. Um, Julianne Moore is this housewife in like the 50s. And Meryl Streep is a older woman in like 2001 when the movie came out yeah. and it, it sort of follows all their lives like Virginia Woolf was writing Mrs. Dalloway and then the other two women are like affected by this book or it weaves in and um it has a birthday theme because the Julianne Moore character storyline is she's like making a, making a birthday cake with her son for her husband and sort of having a a 50s suburban housewife like meltdown basically <laughs> It, which I mean, kind of became a cliche where she did several roles like this, but she's just so perfect in it and really shows like the depths of her character of, of how everything seems perfect on the surface, but underneath there's like a lot of sadness and desperation. And I mean, Meryl Streep is great in everything. She plays this woman who's throwing a party for her friend played by um, Ed Harris. And it's just a great movie. I mean, it's not cheerful, so I don't know if I recommend it for your birthday week, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for a birthday with birthday party scenes in the context of a depressing movie, it's excellent. Hey, you know what? I mean, you follow the rules. I am fine with that. That totally qualifies. I mean, we're, we're probably going to definitely be stretching some of, the, some of the criteria for this topic, so totally qualifies. That's fine, especially for me. I'm 
I'm reaching already. But uh, my first uh, birthday movie will be, yeah, this one's pretty obvious. I'm gonna take it off the board. And I and I actually have seen this. I was actually, I won't cheat and make them two because they're the same uh, uh, franchise. <laughs> but but the uh, but Happy Death Day, which definitely oh. revolves around a birthday. It actually follows, and I'm not a horror movie guy like, at all. I'm I'm not. I'm freaked out. I hate that shit. But <laughs> Happy Death Day. The premise seems so interesting. It's basically like Groundhog's Day meets a girl dying on her birthday, and she has mm-hmm. to basically keep re- she has to basically keep reliving the same day, her birthday, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and keeps getting murdered by you know some you know crazy stalker person, and, and she and she can't get out of that same loop until she figures out how to stay alive, I guess, and. It's, it was really well done. A guy named Christopher Landon, I think, wrote and directed it. It's from the Blumhouse factory. So that's another mm-hmm. reason why I actually ended up seeing it in a theater. You know, I was very proud of myself. I don't go see this shit in theaters. Oh, and it was near my birthday that year, uh, three years ago. <laughs> so I, October 13th. And it, <laughs> I, I mean, it's kind of hard to explain why I like it so much, but everyone who's seen this movie has liked it. It's not nearly as, as torture porny as most horror movies, which I appreciate. And it's clever. And Jessica, I think Jessica Roth, the the lead, I've never really seen her in anything before. I think she's one of those CW, you know, um, stars or third leads or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. This is kind of like her, her like kind of breakout movie, whatever. And it did it did well at the box office, considering it was you know dumped in October. And she's just really very compelling. She plays a really bitchy sorority girl named Tree. Yes, that's okay. her name, Tree, uh, and who's you know popular, hot, all sort of stuff, and just mean to everybody. And and of course, you know, through repeated stabbings and dying, she eventually you know becomes a better person as she tries to figure out how to get out of this loop. And she recruits kind of like the nerdy boy next door, or whatever. And you know, it's 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 a fun movie. I, I really enjoyed it. They made a sequel called Happy Death Day Two, Happy Death Day to You, I think. And that was similarly clever too, which and the ending of that one totally sets up a third one. So whenever they're allowed to finish shooting or whatever, I'm sure we'll get. I don't, actually, I wonder what they would even call a Happy Death Day three. What would they even call that? I don't know. But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the third installment of the Happy Death Day series. And it's, it's pure Blumhouse, done for super cheap. You can tell, but made a ton of money, so they can can keep making more. That's that's not my kind of movie, but. It's, it's an interesting concept. I like how many things there are now that use the kind of Groundhog Day format, like Russian Doll as well. Palm where, Springs. And yeah. They, yeah, they approach it different ways. Like sometimes you have to learn a lesson. Sometimes it's like, no. No, there's nothing to learn. Just, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's an interesting trope. Yeah. All right. So what's your next film? All right. My next movie is totally different direction. I'm going to pick No Strings Attached, the sort of silly rom-com with, Natalie Portman and Ashton Kutcher. Interesting. Okay, I remember seeing this in the theater, but I don't remember much about it. So tell us where the birthday fits in. So the birthday fits in. It's like it's it's kind of a silly movie overall, but but enjoyable and fun. But the one scene that really puts it over the top is this birthday dinner that's actually in that photo right there. Mm-hmm. And um, so Ashton Kutcher is out with Natalie Portman, his his friend with benefits, um, with his father. And his father's now dating his ex-girlfriend. So at this dinner, which is celebrating his birthday, this doesn't really spoil anything, by the way. <laughs> at this dinner, um, his father and his ex-girlfriend announced that they're going to have a baby together. And Natalie Portman just goes from being like supportive friend 
like to an 11 of tearing her these, these people apart and how ridiculous they're being. And it's such a great scene of like, she just eviscerates them. And it, it really shows that like, even when she's doing a silly movie like this, she is such an amazing actress. She's really so good. it's worth it for just that scene alone. I mean, it's kind of, the rest of it's kind of what you expect. There were two of these movies that were sort of about friends with benefits that came out at the same time. Yes, I saw both of them in the theater because I'm like that. I enjoyed both actually, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're both fun. There's a lot of other like funny, uh, you know, tertiary characters like Bell's in it. Um, I'm like Bell. You know, a lot of good things. Kevin Klein plays the father and he's so, he like really goes in on being ridiculous and like full of himself. It's just a fun movie. All these shots are there. Yeah, all these shots are the same thing. Wow. This is also in the movie, yeah. Yeah, all right. Hi, Mom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> blame, it on, blame it on Catherine. All right, just kidding. Uh, all right, so my next film, pretty obvious one, so I'm going to take it off the board, is Quinceañera. And oh. this is one of the – now, I wasn't. I can't say I was really big into indie films – during my movie reviewing career, I eventually got better at them because I kept getting these screening invites. How do I, oh man, that's where MDB kills me with this stuff. Hold on. There we go. Shit, how do I get out? Okay. <laughs> they need to fix that. Uh, anyway, uh, Kids in the Air, and it was one of the ones I remember seeing when I lived in LA, and I, and I get these invites, these screens, and what have you. And I this, this must have been a screening because I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have paid money to see because I didn't know anything about it. But this is the movie that gave, I cannot spell Kids in the Air. There we go. All right. Uh, and yes, yeah, 2006. Yeah, right in the middle of my, my little movie reviewing streak. And this is the movie that gave us Emily Rios. She was a bit of a revelation. I thought she was so good as the, the girl in the in the, for the titular quinceanera and basically it's about her life in east la you know in la i almost never saw it in la is so like the los angeles southland is just so big and vast like one time for a book i was writing i'd spent an entire day driving out to all these bedroom communities on the east side of, of la county and just randomly drove through them stopped walked went to shops just you know i mean and i saw about maybe a dozen different cultures and just it's, it's so vast like you know the, the fabric makes up the kind of LA County that you can never be exposed to any of some of these cultures or communities. And that's kind of what I felt when I was exposed to Quinceanera about how mm -hmm. she was living in East LA, how she had like a, she, uh, if I recall correctly, she had, I think a cousin or a brother who was having issues with his sexuality. She's kind of coming into her own uh, as, as well. And it's just very well, well done. Uh, kind of a bit of a, it showed both the soft and the hard, edge side of growing up in East LA. I just thought she was, I mean, I thought she was wonderful. And I always kept, and every time I'd see her pop up in anything, usually on TV, I'm like, wow, where's she been? Why is she getting more roles, you know? And I think last time I saw her was in Snowfall in which she was excellent in, although I'm, I'm afraid they might've killed off her character. <laughs> but I, 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 this, this gave me Emily Rios. I remember looking out for her after that ever since. And Kid Sierra was a really well done, touching little movie. Is is quinceanera like part of also Panamanian culture, or is it more Mexican? Yeah, I, honestly, I think it's the whole Latinx uh, diaspora. Um, it's mm -hmm. not as big a part of Panamanian culture, I don't believe. Well, you know, how would I know? I only live in Panama, and most of the Panamanians I know are in New York. And I was never a fifteen-year-old Panamanian girl, so. But I would. But as far as I know, I think it's definitely a bigger deal 
in uh, in Mexican, maybe even uh, Cubano cultures than say the Panamanians I've been exposed to. But mm -hmm. I have heard of Panamanians getting quinceañeras, although I don't think it's as integral part of our cultural fabric. Yeah. I haven't seen this one. I gotta check it out at some point. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's nice. And yeah, actually, I wonder where where's where's it playing? You, you would you would like it because I mean it is it, it it's a little. It's a little touch and go here and there, but they definitely do just want the very best of them. So. Yeah. <laughs> At the very end. I mean, that's Ooh, an age you have to be rooting for the best for them. You can't get, they can't uh, go off the rails. Well, I, I mean, for someone so young and and you're you're such a wise, wise and voice in a slack, I often forget how old you actually are, or how young you actually are. You're like a mom. So you're like, you're yeah. like, <laughs> you're like a mom at heart. So it's very, you know, you want the very best for them. Yeah, look at that. Great scores across the board. And it's on Hulu, so yeah. Oh, great, that's good. Yeah. Hulu has a great movie selection, I find. They do, they got a lot of good everything. Uh, what's your next film? All right, my next movie is um, An Education with Carrie Mulligan and Peter Sarsgaard. Ooh. So I'm back to the dark movie birthday uh, <laughs> things. No, I like it though, because I just saw, I mean, randomly I just this? saw it. Well, no, I've seen it before, I saw it when it came out. But I just saw it. Sex education. I, bad education. Where's the right education? Here we go. Um, I just saw a. Um, uh, uh, was that? I think on HBO Max or something. I just saw like like it showed up in my queue or something. I'm like, oh yeah, an education. Yeah. So tell us about an education. This is good. So Carrie Mulligan plays this girl who's like a teenager, maybe 15, 16 in England. And she's just like a regular high school student, and she meets this guy played by 60s, right? Peter Sarsgaard. Sorry. It was like in the '60s, right? Yeah. So it's it's a period movie in like the '60s. So there's great fashion, great like outfits and makeup and all kinds of stuff. So she meets this guy who's like a kind of a con man, you know, older man, dating a teenager. And so like as an adult, you're watching you're like, oh my god, what are you doing? But it also shows her perspective that like she's really vulnerable to, to the glamour of this person and like he's really interested in me um and she's got you know these parents that are very overbearing so that's also part of like she gets wrapped up in this and um there's a great birthday like first there's this very sad birthday dinner with him and her her parents where it's like they're just sitting around a dark table with a kind of sad looking cake you know having a very tense conversation and then he you know surprises her and takes her off to paris for a weekend for her birthday and shows her like, you know, they go to concerts and she wears these gorgeous dresses. And it's, I mean, overall it's, it's she has to figure out, she, she learns a lot from this person that she wasn't expecting to, but, um, and, you know, kind of unravels a little bit, but it gives a good uh, view of like, a teenage girl can be so wrapped up in this like fantasy world that she's susceptible to this con man coming in. Yeah, and it's, I mean, just such a, a great cast. Like you said, you know, the costuming and the <clears throat> and the hair and everything is definitely on point, but such a great cast. Dominic Cooper, don't see him in enough things stateside these days. Yeah. Roseburg Pike. Yeah, she's so good. She is uh, well, I, I I almost kind of feel like why it's she's another one of those where it's like, why isn't she just like the biggest star ever? I saw her in that yeah. in that little old movie. I mean, it's it's actually a pretty solid movie that nobody saw. The one where she plays the real life story, the one with the eye patch, the photographer the war reporter or photographer or whatever. And yeah. she's so good in that. No one talked about it. It's clearly Oscar bait for her. She's really, I mean, kind of subtly going for it with the voice and the, all that sort of stuff. And 
and, and, and this is when you also know that like an A-list actress is going for because you know nudity. She, she it's out there she's sitting in a tub. She's like, I'm I'm giving it to you, Oscar. Pick me. And they forgot her. It's so sad. But I mean, yeah, I have a long list of those actresses, and I feel like Carrie Mulligan's almost on that as well. She was so big for a while, and now I mean you don't see her in that much anymore. So hopefully she'll come back. She's very she's has like such an emotional face that like. It just like quivers whenever she has to do, you know, these deep scenes. It does, doesn't it? Did you see that that uh, Brit Fishing series? I think it came out on Netflix, the um, the one where she's a pregnant cop. Yeah, I think it's called Collateral. Thank you. Yes, Collateral. Yeah. yeah she's excellent in that. She's, yeah, she has, that's a great way to describe her face. Very quivering. You know, she's, she's basically the white Carrie Washington. Every time mm -hmm. Carrie gets so worked up, it's like, you see that lip quiver. Oh, boy. You don't know where it's gonna go. Is she gonna cry? Is she gonna chew your stuff your head off? Like I don't know. Yeah. You know, I hope you're onto something and that she's gonna show up as the lead in a Shonda Rhimes show from one of those like Netflix deals and just like come out of nowhere. But I don't know. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, and Shonda, we're due. What's up, your boy Ryan Murphy? Yeah, great. And Ryan Murphy preceded her by maybe six months in his deal, but my God, he's put out like five. <clears throat> Five properties by now. It's nuts. So yeah, like, but she was also smart to be like watching what he's doing and how people respond to it and like take her time a little bit. Hopefully do a little better. Yeah, that's true. And and I think she has like a daughter or something. Maybe she has a family. I'm not, I don't know if Brian Murphy has a family. It seems like he's always working. So more power to him. All right. And education. Very well. Very well done. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to go with that. <laughs> this, this is the part where we start stretching. Um, <laughs> all right. I'm going to go with the game. I can't even say I really like this movie that much. People love this movie. It's a bit of a camp classic. I don't understand it. I really don't. I remember seeing it when it came out in the theater. And it was cool. It was twisty. I know it's Fincher and stuff. Maybe I need to rewatch it as an adult adult. Because, I mean, I was really only, what, like 21, 22, something like that. <clears throat> but I just didn't get why this was all that great. Have you seen the game? I don't think I've seen this one, but you know, a lot of movies that I saw like 20 years ago when they came out, like when you see them as an adult, you're like, this is a totally different thing than what I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, you know? Like either because the themes are like totally different, you didn't see them when you were seeing it as a younger person, or like just the culture has changed and it's like, what are these people doing? But it, it adds another level, another layer to it. <laughs> yeah, and, and the, the central conceit is for, I believe it's for, Michael Douglas's birthday, right? Uh, his younger brother, Sean Penn, throws like, uh, you know, uh, basically has, concocts like a bit of a scavenger hunt mystery type thing that takes mm -hmm. on real world consequences. And I mean, it's an interesting kind of concept, I guess. I just wasn't feeling it. Maybe I need to rewatch it. But people really love this movie. They really love this movie. Bold move putting a, a movie you did not like on your list. <laughs> <laughs> is it really bold or is it more like desperate? So yeah. <laughs> What's your next film? Okay, okay. All right, what am I gonna go with here? Uh another sad one or a fun one. Um okay, I'll pick the movie Chocolat. Have you seen this? Oh I mean, how do you not love Chocolat? It's yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's delightful. I mean, I was all in on this movie when it first came out because I feel like I was that age where I was like, you know, this is made for me. It's with um, Juliette Binoche and Johnny Depp as like... You make you want to go to Europe? Is that what made you go to Europe? <laughs> I mean, it didn't, but it probably added to it. It was in there somewhere. It's in the mix. But Seems I mean, it's, it's very like, I mean, you could call it cheesy or like whimsical, like 
fantastical. This woman who like comes into this small town with her daughter and like whips everyone into this insane frenzy with chocolate is like the whole concept of the movie. And um, Johnny Depp plays like this, I guess you'd call it a traveler. I don't know the exact terminology who's sort of um, on the outskirts of society, not really accepted by people. And okay, yeah. well, what was once uh, uh, unpolitically correct referred to as a gypsy, right? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what they're called in in France, but he's Travel. sort of on the edges, and he, and he lives on his boat, and they, they kind of are nomadic, the same way that um, Juliette Binoche is kind of like moving into town to town. And anyway, the the, the townspeople led by the mayor, I think, played by Alfred Molina, like go wild. I think. I think mainly because it's during Lent, and so the fact that she's got this chocolate shop like stirring passions in people is is obscene to them. So they try banning chocolate and all this stuff, and not to spoil the movie, it's still enjoyable. But it culminates with this birthday lunch for um, Judy Dench's character, who's like this old matriarch in the town, and basically a, a group of the townspeople are rebelling against the mayor by having this this lunch where they hang out with these people that are sort of should be ostracized and eat chocolate and, you know, <laughs> all, all in on hedonism, having fun, you know, pretty innocently, but it's, you get wrapped up in it. It sounds ridiculous, but you have so much fun watching this movie. <laughs> well, it sounds like me this weekend uh, breaking my, uh, my Abascal diet sugar and, uh, and dairy fast by going fucking hog wild on cheesecake fat. I did too much. I did too much much my stomach after three months plus with no sugar no dairy was not prepared i punished it i'm slowly weaning myself off the craziest but i went to town yeah, that was so them going to town some chocolate was me going to town on on a on a cinnabon cheesecake and a vanilla bean cheesecake and a dulce de leche cheesecake that was me, um, that was me. <laughs> you gotta do it once in a while yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, I probably gained five pounds back, but it was worth it. Fuck it. <laughs> All right. Um, so my next film is going to be This Is Forty. It's in the title. Yeah. And oh man, I hate that. There we go. So confusing. All right. That's a good this, choice. This is Forty. Yes, it's in the title. Um, it, it's in the title. Actually, so people. So this is kind of in around that time when Judd Apatow was definitely making. Was definitely steering more towards like balancing more kind of dramedy, dramatic fare with his outright comedies. People weren't quite used to it yet. He also did Funny People, I think, a year or two earlier, which people really didn't like, but I love that. Have you seen Funny People? Yeah. Yeah, I like that one. I mean, a lot of his movies are, are fun if you're not trying to see them as like an A plus movie. If you're just trying to enjoy them, they're really good. Right, yeah, and and I, I mean, I think people are trying to hold the standard because I mean, Knocked Up and and Forty Year Old Virgin were were both like really funny, but also like you know really good. That they're trying to probably take that kind of imprimatur of comedic quality, like oh, it's got to be up to this standard of like greatness to his yeah. drama, and he's just not as good at drama. I mean, that's fine because he's not bad at drama either. He's just not as good at drama. So I didn't, I didn't really kind of come to it with that type of expectation. Uh, I am always here for artists who are trying to to paint with all the colors in their crayon box, who feel like they have more to show or more to give. And this is perfectly fine. I mean, I was nowhere near 40 at this uh, when this came out, but just, you know, taking like a thoughtful, dramatic, uh, dramatic 
that's even a word, uh, kind of look at, you know, being a parent, you know, existential dread of turning a certain birthday, which I kind of all but gave up after turning maybe 30, 35. After 35, I just honestly don't care, you know. <laughs> but um, even with my, my, my 40th, I honestly didn't care uh, for different reasons. But yeah, actually, I think the, the Seahawks lost my 40th birthday. That really made me. That really pissed me off. Otherwise, I didn't care. So yeah, so this, so the whole thing about forty, I thought was very thoughtful, interesting. Obviously, it's a very privileged look at it. You know, he basically plays a version of himself. Only this time, it's like he's like a record executive or whatever. Uh, so it's it's a privileged take at it. But you know, some of the themes are pretty universal. Yeah, uh, having yourself played by Paul Rudd is always a good move. Like any excuse to do that, I feel like take it. Yeah, and, and Leslie Mann is great. I, I love Leslie Mann. Yeah, I love actually the concept that he had his real wife and real children in this movie, just with Paul Rudd as him. <laughs> and and Maude's good. Maude yeah. and I are both good. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, I, is Maude, Maude was on Euphoria, wasn't she? She was on Euphoria, and yeah. she was also uh, in King of Staten Island. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's good. You could tell, though, that she got the no nudity contract in Euphoria. Yeah, 110%. <laughs> that's, what it, that's what happens when your dad is really important in the business. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also, um, what was I going to say? But yeah, yeah, no, mod, mod, mod's good. I enjoy it. And that's, um, that's a, a good example of nepotism for good when they actually yeah. have talent. <laughs> yeah, nepotism is good. Blanket statement. And I, honest, uh, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Honestly, I mean, if I if I had the chance, I, I saw people ragging on Bill Simmons for like giving his daughter Zoe a podcast. Look, Simmons shouldn't have said the shit he said, knowing what he'd done. But the fact that he gives out jobs to his people, well, duh. I mean, yeah. it's, it's like it's like you're giving, you know, your your daughter or your brother the attorney general's job or something. You know, we're not going on candy with it. I'm just saying, you know, we're you know, it's. The impacts of him giving his friend, his cousin, his daughter, his his nephew, whatever jobs, very low, very low stakes. So whatever, deal with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think that's fine. Podcast, Podcasting, like 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 the butcher shop, the family business. Well, I mean, also like she's gonna figure out if she's good at it. She's not gonna keep doing it if she has no talent for it. So you know. Yeah, yeah, I like Zoe. Anyway, I don't know how we got dropped from that. That's my bad. Uh, so yes, that was my fourth one. What is your last? All right, I thought you were definitely going to pick this one. You're going to be mad when you realize it's a birthday movie. I'm <laughs> picking Coming to America. Holy shit. Holy shit. <laughs> I was saving because I was sure you were going to take this. Wow. Well played, Kiska. Well played. I mean, how did it, what, didn't even occur to me either. You're right. Yeah, so... Kind of like the first scene is is a birthday. He wakes up uh, in Zamunda, I think is the country, and you know it's the classic thing that he's surrounded by like a hundred people singing, a little choir, and you know people trying to help him get dressed. He's like, "Can I please just like brush my teeth?" <laughs> and so that kicks off like the whole you know his parents introduce this woman he's supposed to marry, and that's how he gets this whole idea. I'm going to go and find my own my own life, my own bride, and the adventure begins. Wow, you're you're absolutely right. I'm 100 mad. I didn't think of it. Well played. <laughs> and this is a classic movie. There's like every picture that you're showing here is like another incredible scene. That's like you know world class. <laughs> it's a it's a perfect movie. It. I mean, there are very few movies that are per well. I don't know. It's it's a perfect movie to me. This boomerang. There's just like I mean, just never. 
every beat is perfect. And this is me not having seen this movie in like probably five years. And I just, I just remember how perfect it is. It's so good. Yeah, so, I mean, you got McDowell's, you got the barbershop, the the actual chocolate. Exactly, the Jerry Curl with leaving the little stain on the sofa. There's like so many moments in this. Let's <laughs> just so close. Oh, well, well played. I, I can't. Yeah, and here's the the birthday party, the celebration, and yeah. some uh, just over the top top. I mean, yeah, that was. Oh, good shit. Chaos K. I'm trying to lower my expectations for the sequel, which I think is coming out in like November, December. It's I will not. No, no. I will not let you pull me down on this. P-O-O-P-O-L-L. -O -O -L -L. I will not let you pull me down. I have faith. This Look, maybe nothing's going to ever top the first one, but I have faith that this is going to be magical. It's going to be fun because they spent, I don't know, what, 20 years working the script? Like they always mm -hmm. had an idea, but it's kind of kept, it, it wasn't the right draft. So I just have faith this will be almost as good. I, I'm having faith. You will not drag me down with your poll doubting. All right. I mean, I hope you're right. I'm trying to just like set myself up to not be disappointed. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. And the final one I'm going to go with. I mean, once it, once again, it's kind of in the title, but 16 Candles, I guess. I mean, she turned 16, you know, Molly Ringwald. Yeah. That I was actually, I mean, I was pretty young when this came out. I, don't, I did not see this in the theater. I definitely saw it on VHS at someone's house at, at one point. <clears throat> and I love John. I love a lot of John Hughes movies. This one I just thought was okay. And it wasn't even so much like the long duck dong thing, which is was horrible even at the time. <laughs> uh, but just yeah. like I mean, I just didn't overly connect to it because it definitely definitely was more of a of of a white high school experience that I didn't that wasn't didn't didn't feel exclusionary, but it just wasn't like my thing per se. But I you definitely had enough of that in like your day to day life with these kids, probably. Honestly, where I went Lakeside for real. I mean, yo. For real. So, but I, uh, but I do like John Hughes movies. I do recognize that it was a movie of its moment, of its time, and everything that people loved. And I loved how it made Molly Ringwald a star. She definitely looked great in this movie. Like I definitely remember seeing this movie. Like, yeah, she's she's hot. She's great. You know. Um, and also, I mean, I got a thing for redheads. I don't know what that's about. But yeah. Uh, so yeah. So the Sixty Candles is great. Breakfast Club obviously is is great. You know, that's a great little movie marathon right there. And yeah, it is all about her turning 16 and, and you know, lusting after the boy that didn't want her while another boy truly wanted her. So we all, we've all had that experience. Yeah. At least I have. Classic story. <laughs> yeah, these movies are a little bit tough to rewatch just because like a lot of things with the gender and sexual politics have changed a lot. But I feel like if you can put it in its context, you can still get a lot out of it. Like, you know, but oh, they're yeah. classics for a reason, you know? No, no, I, I agree. And actually, I mean, when I when I watch stuff, I'm very much cognizant of the time it's in. I mean, I I may still involuntarily have a little bit of like, eh, but I but I, it doesn't take me out of the movie. You know, as well. Yeah. And, and if if we get to the point where we can't appreciate art for the time it's built in, for the time it was made in, then you know that's pretty sad. But I yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I definitely co-sign that. And and I definitely get a kick out of more. Just like the hairstyles and the fashion, that mm -hmm. if anything, they'll take me out of yeah. movie more of that than say actual cultural mores at the time. Yeah, yeah, I love like the older movies. <laughs> yes. All right. So we are going to take a pause for the cause to tell those of you who are new to the podcast who are listening at home 
how the draft stream game is played, and how you can get involved. Those of you who are watching will be back right after this. Hi. Movie theaters are on hiatus, but we here at Cinema Draft are not. Draft Stream is the streaming content version of the Cinema Draft game you know and love. Just like with Cinema Draft, you have a $100,000 salary cap for a 10-actor call sheet. No more, no less. But in this one, you have to have at least one of three types of actors for your 10-actor call sheet. Headliner, co-star, and day player. Scoring is based on a weighted average of Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic scores plus audience and user scores. Headliners get a 40% bonus while co-stars receive a 20% bonus over day player points. There's a weekly minimum $50 prize pool shared by the top two non-Cinema Draft employee call sheets. Or you can go low. Cinema Draft offers a minimum $10 lowball bonus to the lowest scoring call sheet of the week. To qualify, your call sheet must spend at least $75,000 of your budget, use at least one actor from three separate titles in the talent pool, and, of course, roster at least one headliner, co-star, and day player to your 10-actor call sheet. The game runs from Thursday evening to Monday afternoon with daily updates on Saturday and Sunday before final scoring after Monday, 12 p.m. Pacific time. Currently, we are alpha testing DraftStream in a rudimentary spreadsheet-based format while we work on adapting it for digital play. Tweaks happen almost weekly due to player feedback. We really need the data, so please help us out and play the game. A link to the most current talent pool is included in the podcast description. Please review the rules tab and submit your call sheet by Thursday, 6 p.m. Pacific time. Thanks again for your help and good luck. We're back. Last week's quarantine movie of the week was a fan favorite to all the boys I've loved before. I was not privy to the books previously, but when I watched this little Netflix rom-com, probably about a month after it came out, after just getting hit over the head by how much people enjoyed this, I truly came under its spell. I think I watched it maybe twice, maybe even three times, uh, uh, as well as exposing the draft mom to it. I had to get it, put her on some game um, during a holiday weekend, I think, and it is delightful. And several of you chimed in how much you enjoyed that movie. Are you familiar with To All the Boys I Loved Before? Yeah, I love this movie. And it's surprisingly, like, just as good on rewatches that, like, it's so well put together that it's not like, oh, you know, tired of the story. But, like, it's so perfectly done. And the characters are, like, cliches, but also, like, uniquely personified by the actors. It's really good. Yeah, and I, I mean, huge crush on Lana Condor. She should be, like, the biggest star. Give her all the things. She's great. Yeah. The sequel, not as successful, but yeah, I I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I still want to see where it's going to end up uh, in the third one, which I guess should be coming I guess next year, maybe, something like that. So, to all the boys I've loved before, that was last week's uh, movie of the week, the quarantine movie of the week. This week is on the record. Not nearly as delightful, far <laughs> more depressing, a little bit soul-crushing, but... Different also, tone. Yeah, also a little bit informative. 
uh, about Drew Dixon, uh, former music exec, Drew Dixon, Stanford educated, who uh, basically spent a lot of her her industry experience being sexually harassed and assaulted by one Russell Simmons. It is not a fun story, but is a very necessary story told in, in her own words and also some the words of a few other uh, survivors in the industry who also were sexually harassed and assaulted. And it's just really, I mean, you hear about these things. You hear about, oh, yeah, like, the you know, in Hollywood, the casting couch, and oh, you know, groupies in, in music, whatever. But it's totally different when it's coming from someone whose only dream was to was to help other people, other artists achieve their dreams, just see her own dream dashed by toxic men in power. It's really fucking enraging, but she does a pretty good job of describing it all. And also touching on some subjects which I thought were kind of interesting, because she refers to it several times, not even in passing. The whole, uh, the whole, uh, was uh, light skin, dark skin politics and stuff like that, which mm. I thought was kind of interesting throw in for a movie like this. She's like, she, she fully acknowledges what she calls light privilege <laughs> and how her being, you know, a light skinned black woman with, with, you know, light eyes, you know, gave her, you know, access to some stuff that, you know, other people wouldn't get access to or got her treated differently in certain aspects, but also worked against her in other aspects. So it's a very interesting documentary, perfect third monitor material for those of you who know how I get my job done around here. I love having a good documentary or something I can just kind of listen to or watch, you know, out of the corner of my eye, like, like the real Housewives of Potomac. Don't need to focus on y'all. I can have y'all running your mouths on a third screen while I'm doing my work. So, but this is great third modern material, but also something if you want to you know, really get into her story to focus on. She's It's really, really kind of sad how her whole story turned out, but also enlightening on how dangerous some of these men are in that industry. Yeah, I haven't seen this, but I know, I remember there was controversy even when it was released that like Oprah was supposed to be a producer, but then she backed out. And it showed that like, even when it's all being put out there in public, he still has this power that people are intimidated or... I don't know the exact dynamic of it. And quick cultural cul-de-sac, why are we so afraid of men with power? It's so fucking, the, the, the me tubing, hashtag me tubing today, people <laughs> making apologies for this guy who whipped his dick out on camera at work. What do we do? So yeah, so stop, just stop. Stop apologizing for men in power. Stop giving them a pass. Stop, you know, giving, I mean, stop, especially white men, stop giving them extra benefits of the doubt just because, they have a, a tiny bit of power and and informally had social or cultural cachet. Just just don't just stop. Just stop. Stop. They say stupid shit. Like Ice Cube said stupid shit. Call them on their stupid shit. It's okay. We'll yeah. talk in tomorrow. All right? Soapbox. Off my soapbox. Okay. So our draft stream update. I'll try to keep it brief since someone around here does not take full advantage of her tethers life life's work project right now but no we had a great week this past week great titles that were in play gamble 24x7 who is now the all-time cinema draft money winner and draft stream money leader he's fully taken control of it over jay bird this man has made easily three grand off of us playing a free-to-play game over the course of i don't know the, over a year and some change worth of weekends. It's, it's great. And he, and he does it all, you know, from from instinct, doesn't use an optimizer, doesn't use, you know, uh, a solver, just, you know, studies, you know, uses his his, his good uh, poker expertise, game theory in the house, game theory in the house, those poker players, uses poker expertise to play 
the game theory, the shit out, and he won yet again. This time he took first and third. We are now, and since last time you contemplated playing KSK, <laughs> we now up the prize pool to $100. $50 wow. first, $25 to second, $10 a third, with a $15 low ball bonus. What is low ball, you may ask? Well, we have it built into the game that, that of the three call sheets you're allowed to submit, you can you can always do one for the low ball where you are trying to get the lowest score possible, but you must spend at least $75,000 uh, in salary. You must have at least one actor from three different uh, titles. And, of course, you must be under budget and have at least one headliner, one co-star, one day player. So normal rules apply, but, you have to, but you're trying to get the lowest score possible. So for that, actually, Jaybird took the low ball bonus for $15.00 and also second place for $25. So between the two of them, they sucked up the prize pool, but uh, $60 went to Gamble 24x7, and Jaybird got 40 for his efforts. As you can see, Henry YYZ, that is Henry Gomes in our, from Bransky Slack, mm -hmm. and in fifth, cracked the top five, good for him. Parfait Diem, little Stevie, our girl Steph Torres, <laughs> she came in above your boy, and also Fumi Possible. Fumi is in the act this week as last week as well. She also bested your boy. I was just a walking shit show. So that's how that kind of uh, settled out. Great titles this week at play too. On the perfect call sheet, it was a lot of David Burns' American Utopia. Kind okay. of strange. Yeah, but that was part of the optimal stack. And the optimal stack in our game is, of course, two headliners, a co-star, and a day player. And then spreading the love around with Trials of Chicago 7, Star Trek Discovery, Season three and Baroness Von Sketch. Have you seen Baroness Von Sketch? Have you heard of that? I have not. It's on IFC. I don't think I have IFC, so that's my problem. Yeah, neither do I. But apparently, the people who know about it love it. 112 base score, 157 as a headliner points. Pretty cool. What do you think of the Trial of Chicago Seven? I actually liked it. I mean, I don't really know the history, so I wasn't as bothered as probably other people by the sort of mischaracterizations or like you know changing the characters a little bit. But I thought it was really good. It was like, you know, an old school type of movie that makes you feel good about this country's ideals somewhat. Yeah, very Sorkin-esque, very idealistic, like you said. Um, and and I, I liked it fun. Like, I, I, I liked it. I, I, I'm a little curious on why it scored so well as far as, like, it's not a bad movie at all. And, you know, and Sorkin's writing is always, you know, pretty top-notch. But I thought I it, was think it was I think it was getting a lot of press that, would, like, made it seem like it was going to be ridiculous. Like, some of the stories about Jeremy Strong wanting to be tear grassed in real life to like prepare for the character. And then you see him and he's like a total goofball. It was like, didn't set you up with high expectations. And I think that's probably why I was like pleasantly surprised by it. Yeah, yeah, he's, I mean, yeah, why? Yeah, Jeremy Strong is totally extra, but yeah, his character is so kind of laid back doofus. I mean, and kind of, kind of a dim with you kind of like, why would you need to be tear gassed for that role? I don't know. He, he's, don't he's, know. But no, yeah, the critics were pretty much liked, well, Ron Tomatoes loved it. Metacritic has turned out to be the toughest critic in the room these days. But they 76 from them is actually pretty good. And audiences uniformly approved of it. So it's just it's a very solid, well done movie. I'm a little curious why there's so much hype around it for and against, but I liked it. It was it was it was, it was very good, very fun. Um and I and anytime you get to spend more time with Sorkin, kind of walking draft mom through uh through the West Wing, she'd never seen it, we're towards the tail end of the, of the first season, and every episode is just like a gift. Just a yeah. gift. Yeah. Uh, such great There are also like great performances in this. Like Sasha Baron Cohen was surprisingly good. 
Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Hold, 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 hold. that slander shall not pass. What do you mean surprisingly good? Surprisingly, well, I mean the fact you know that, that like Baron Cohen. I, I do somewhat. I don't like all his movies, but the fact that he has this coming out at the same time as Borat, like I think probably people expected him to just be ridiculous, but then like he sort of ends up being the emotional heart of the movie, and I think that probably caught people off guard. So, and, so I think you're not like a fan of Borat. I like Borat. I don't like the other ones. Like I saw Bruno. I don't like it all. Um, <laughs> the Dictator. I didn't see. I loved Ali G, but it's like I'm an originalist. I like his early stuff. Okay. Very 90s music fan way. Okay, Catherine Comey Barrett or whatever. <laughs> Comey Barrett. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I could, I could help it. Bad pot shot, bad tether, bad tether. Uh, <laughs> no, would you, would you like him in The Spy? I haven't seen that yet, actually. Well, now see, now that's him doing dramatic work, and he's good. Yeah. There's nary a wink at the camera or anything. He plays it straight, and he's he's solid. He and he and also like you kind of forget like as much as he's always like dressing up as a goofball or whatever, or or even like hidden under like a huge you know Jufro wig of the '70s, whatever. I mean, you kind of forget that when he cleans up, he actually can be suave and like I mean, like these stills right here are from the spy. Like he. I mean, it's like period, you know, you, you know, me in the period, but he's, you know, he can, he can pull it off somewhat, you know, he can, he can definitely, he, he's not like a lady killer per se in this movie, but, or in that miniseries, but he's definitely like, like a guy who's got his shit together and he's out. He's just very versatile. Once again, it goes back to me, you know, championing artists, you know, doing different shit. I, I love to see when they do something, when they try something different and it, and it works. And I honestly think his dramatic stuff works. He just doesn't do nearly enough yeah, I think that he's not as well known for it. So like it catches people off guard when he's like really good in something dramatic. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, all right, so so that was last week. Uh, we had a lot of good stuff in there. <laughs> Shit house. <laughs> Scored well. Uh, <laughs> this week, this week, 25 hot ones coming at you. Highlights include mm-hmm. <laughs> well. Well, I'm actually very intrigued by White Noise. I know this is one you're probably definitely not going to watch, but this is. Definitely- is it based on the book? Because I did not get that book at all. I don't think this is actually a documentary on the alt right movement in America. And okay, that sounds better. Does it sound better? <laughs> okay. I mean, it's a novel that I just do not get, but so anything is better than that. White Noise. That was that a Zadie Smith book? No, that's White. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, I think it's done Delulo, unless I'm totally mixing it up with something else. Oh, uh, okay. Um, no, but this is basically about, uh, this is actually The Atlantic's first documentary, so oh. I'm, I'm ready. I, yeah, I'm intrigued. I mean, you know, The Atlantic, known for its online deep dives, long reads, just really going to the heart of, of a certain issue. So I'm, I'm ready to go there. Let's take, take me there, Atlantic. Let's do this. I'm... I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm fascinated by that shit at all. I'm really not. I think, to in some ways, the alt right's been kind of overcovered, but it's been overcovered badly. So I think the the Atlantic might cover it like properly, like like uh, like frame it, not so much frame it, but like do like a real in depth, you know, kind of think watch piece or whatever uh, that might be worthy of the Atlantic's, you know, uh, imprimat uh, signature. So I'm I'm interested. I'm, I'm gonna check it out. It, Early results, 7.5, bode well for it. Uh, I, I might have priced it accordingly. <laughs> um, oh, that's last week's. Uh, the Queen's Gambit. I love Anya Taylor-Joy, so I might check that out. It's on GP. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric Andre's show, 
that one definitely is priced up. We have got that. I think that might be our highest. No, Borat actually is our highest salaried title this week. Yeah, Borat subsequent movie film. Yes, nineteen thousand five hundred for your boy Sasha Baron Cohen, <laughs> and nineteen thousand for Lunell. Uh, so yeah, so I think this is definitely one that you're just paying for points. I think it's going to start. Well, I don't know. I mean, there's nothing out yet on it, uh, ratings wise, to lead me to believe that this is going to be the highest one. But it's definitely the highest profile uh, title opening up this weekend. I have I, very mixed feelings about you crediting Rudy Giuliani and Mike Pence as co-stars. <laughs> very mixed feelings. <laughs> well, noted. Well, I mean, I tried. Well, we always have to have you know some co-stars and day players. I try to make Mike Pence the cheapest possible of this. Yeah. Like we can't we can't put him at the min at min price five thousand. That just skews everything. But yeah, he definitely sucks. He gets the lowest price of all of them. Uh, yeah, I, I hope that he's going to make a fool out of Mike Pence. So, you know, yeah, get it how you live. Um, what else? Equal is intriguing to me. Equal, that's I think the docuseries, uh, narrated by Billy Porter, backstories of leaders of oh, pre Stonewall of, of gay rights leaders, you know, oh man, period piece too. Shit, I'm gonna have to be in on this as well. Interesting, too much stuff to watch. So is this a this is a drama or a documentary? Well, I think it's a docu series. So okay. they some heroes of people pre Stonewall that changed the course of American history through gay rights activism, both I guess public and uh, private. So that actually seems kind of interesting. That sounds good. It does. Uh, what else is interesting? On the rocks, Apple TV Plus. Now, since you you know since you haven't been playing the game, understandable. <laughs> <laughs> going to keep banging in one home until you play the game. Uh, Apple TV Plus is actually proving itself to be the platform of the most quality. They're, they consistently score the highest. I think their average score is like 95.05 uh, in, a, in a game where your highest where your highest score is 130. So your average being 95, almost 100 points, is pretty damn high. It brings, back, brings together Sofia Coppola and Bill Murray again. Rashida Jones in there, Marlon Wayans. That's interesting. So I'm in on this. I might have to watch this uh, when it when it comes out. Yeah, I really want to see this. I haven't even seen the trailer. I don't even know what it's really about, but I just see that that creative team. I'm in. I'm totally in. Have it's you seen like a, I've seen the trailer. It's like a father-daughter drama where like the Rashida Jones um, has like is like married with a kid and she's kind of worried that her husband's cheating or something. And so her father, played by Bill Murray, is like gonna help her investigate. And so I think it's kind of like, you know, daddy daughter time. Yeah. <laughs> Let's buy your husband, daddy daughter time. You know, I'm in, totally in. So Apple TV yeah. Plus, I'm not sure if you, um, I mean, not to get totally uh, aside, but other stuff from Apple TV Plus I really liked was the, was the series Trying with uh, Esther Smith and Rafe Spall. Have you, are you familiar with that? I haven't seen that. So good. And I didn't know what to expect, honestly. I mean, it might have been like one of those, I'll give it three episodes and I'm out, but it was so good. And Esther Smith, I am in love with her. Once again, another fucking redhead. But uh, I'm in love with her. She's great. She's so spongy. She's got that accent. And you know me in accents, man. She had me at the accent, but she, her, her character is just so, just, you're, look at her face. Her face. Yeah. Talk about contorting faces. Her face is all over the place in this whole series. I'm telling you, you watch this, you will love it. You will love it. It's about a couple in London. It's about a, a non-married couple in London who are trying to have a baby and they mm -hmm. can't, so they decide they're going to adopt. 
and it's the whole adoption process and how you have to kind of clean up your act to be, you know, adoptable parents and stuff. It's really good. And of course, they're friends who, you know, are, are married or going through their own shit, don't quite get what they're doing. And of course, the sets of parents, you know, it's very much, I mean, I wouldn't say there's so much like a formula in these type of shows, but it's very much of the about the interior lives of these, you know, Londoners who are trying to, who are obsessed with like, this one thing. And it's mm -hmm. just really great seeing, you know, couples who aren't dysfunctional. They're very functional, but they're, but the, but the conflict comes from their own personal dysfunctions and, and her especially. Esther's character, I can't remember her name, but her character especially is really funny. And the face she makes, that fucking accent is just so adorable. Oh, I just want to eat her up. Like my grandma used to say, I just want to eat you up. <laughs> so I should check this out. I like these British comedies that are like about a specific topic and like just let the people be sort of zany, but, but regular people. 100%, 100%. So yeah, that's a bit of a cultural cul-de-sac. Trying on Apple TV Plus, check it out. Or if you ride the high seeds, ride it in that direction to go check that out. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Uh, and last, other thing I want to uh, bring attention to is Rebecca. This, I mean, it's got a little bit of sizzle. It's period. I mean, look, first of all, look at this one sheet. Oh my God. The hair, tie, the suit, the look. I mean, I'm drawn in, but the early, the initial ratings, which helped me, you know, decide on what to, on how to make salaries for these, has been somewhat disappointing, and mostly on the critical side too. So that's why it's only eighty five hundred for for Army Hammer for less than for for less than than eighteen thousand. You can own both Army Hammer and Lily James on your call sheet. That's a good looking call sheet right there. But so I don't know if it will actually perform better once it hits Netflix. Oh shit, that's coming out tonight, KSK. Yeah, I feel like people might enjoy it more than critics did because critics are comparing it to like the original Hitchcock, which is impossible. And like maybe there's technical things, but a lot of people just want to watch these two beautiful people like cavorting, having fun. Although I don't think it's all fun. Maybe the first 30 seconds of the trailer are fun and then dark <laughs> starts happening. Then it gets a little darker, yeah. And yeah. so and what I'm intrigued about seeing is, well, I don't know if sure intrigue's the right word. I'm just I'm just excited for this a little bit because it does look period, uh, two you know pretty people being pretty together. And and you're right. And when it comes to this game, it is the audiences that count. I mean, in our game, Google user scores and IMDb user scores get 60% uh, weighted in the calculation. So critics can hate on it, but if audiences love it, it's going to do its thing. So it'll be very interesting to see if this actually might have been. Uh, undervalued at 8,500. So if you're looking for salary relief, if you're getting a, a, a Borat headliner, maybe even two if you're going crazy, then if you need some salary relief, Rebecca might be your salary relief title. Also, oh. Lily James has had a big week. Like, she needs the support right now. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. I'm not going to steer us off into that. Although I will say I did not enjoy Emily in Paris. I think that was I, I bailed after the first three episodes. Have you watched Emily in Paris? No, I'm not. I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! My tether. What a perfect note to end on. And also, what again? Time for that? No, we are not with Emily in Paris. That's right. My tether. I knew you're my <laughs> pop culture tether for a reason. All right. Well, we're gonna bring this in for a landing. As always, it's been a pleasure. We will have you back again sometime soon in the near future. Thanks for being such a good sport. This is the time, KSK, of course, when you get to plug something you're into or that you have to promote. So, Catherine Sarah Clagsbrun, plug your ish. 
So I don't have anything personal to plug. <laughs> I do have two friends from college who have podcasts. So one of them is Effectively Wild, which is a baseball podcast. If you're yeah. like really into the uh, into the numbers of the draft and all that kind of stuff, um, probably should be interesting the next couple of weeks with the World Series coming up. That's right. This is her or their Super Bowl or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so the other one is my friend uh, does this podcast about archaeology, which is a little smaller scale, but they it's called the Dirt Podcast. And they've been doing like fun stuff for what they call Spooktober. So they had an episode I just listened to about the the trope in horror movies of like Indian burial grounds and like how they're haunting people. And it's just like really informative, kind of a nerdier take. So I recommend it. Obviously, I'm a little bit biased, but it's fun. Ooh, Spooktober. I see it. I see yeah. it. Shout outs to them. Well done. All right. Well, great use of your time. Way, way to up, big up your friends. That's why we tether together, my girl. Yeah. <laughs> and we are going to see you guys back here next week with another great. Actually, trying to get the right outro music. Uh, and that's not work. Damn, wow, I am bad at this. Okay, anyways, no outro music. We're just gonna just have to sing it. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing we don't do. We do not sing <laughs> parts. But you know what? That's fine. Thanks everybody for watching. Thanks everybody for playing. We'll be back next week with another great Cinema Draft podcast top five, another great guest with their top five. Make sure you get your call sheets into me by 6 p.m. Pacific time Thursday. 2KSK, wink, wink, uh, and get this free money, this $100 prize pool open for everybody to play. Thanks for playing. Thanks for watching. And don't go out, quarantine with a movie or something. We'll see you next time. Where can you find Cinema Draft? We are on Twitter, at Play Cinema Draft, Facebook, Cinema Draft, Instagram, at Play Cinema Draft, Medium, at Cinema Draft, that is our corporate blog. We're even on Pinterest, Cinema Draft. Also subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Music, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts from. And finally, please visit us at cinemadraft.co and sign up for an invite to the relaunch. We will always have games where you can sign up, play for free, and win real money. Cinema Draft is a registered mark of Cinema Draft LLC. Both the Cinema Draft game and the CD3D decentralized app token are for entertainment purposes only.